very much. Good morning, church. We're not asleep, are we? Good morning. No, it's my joy uh, to be with you. I, I, I was here with you earlier this summer, if you remember, and, and uh, when we welcomed the, the student athletes and their families from the soccer clinic, uh, and uh, that we had the privileges of Upward Sports uh, Ministry to partner with you in, and, uh, and it was so fun to see uh, some new visiting faces that day and, uh, and uh, what the Lord did through that time, and so it's uh, what an honor it is to be back with you. Uh, yeah, just a little bit about uh, me, I'm not going to share much about me, but uh, my uh, wife and I served for, for many years uh, overseas as missionaries uh, in North Africa and the Middle East, uh, sharing uh, Jesus with Muslims and, and a neat opportunity that the Lord gave us and, uh, and uh, being able to build relationships and, and uh, we loved it and God brought us uh, to Canada four years ago, a little over four, almost five years ago, just yeah, almost five years ago now and I am Canadian. Uh, I, I'm what you call a fake Canadian. I think I probably shared that when I was last time, but my mom is Canadian, and so I, I was born uh, a Canadian, but I have only lived in Canada now almost five years. And so when we moved across the border, I went to give my paperwork uh, to get a visa uh, and, uh, for, for what, we, what we do here ministry-wise, and they refused to give me a visa. They said, you're Canadian. You don't need a visa. And I said, well, that's, I guess that's a good thing. Great. You know, praise the Lord. And I uh, had to go through all the, the paperwork and things, and then they issued me a birth certificate. Uh, it's pretty interesting uh, at my age to be given a birth certificate uh, for, for a country that I've never lived in before, but they gave me my birth certificate uh, uh, and uh, said that, you know, you were born uh, a Canadian. And so it was just a neat uh, uh, confirmation that God gave us as well of the ministry that he called us to. And, and so for the last uh, five years, we, we've been doing two things here. One, uh, God allowed us to start a house church called Wadi Church, uh, a place for uh, Muslims who have come to faith, that we've seen come to faith, uh, join a small house group and uh, learn and be discipled and mentored and guided in God's word, and then get to, uh, when they're ready, we, we encourage them and help them to find a local church that they can join and become a member of and, and, uh, uh, and leave, leave our small house group but become uh, a bigger part of God's kingdom. Uh, and then for the last uh, almost uh, four years, uh, God has allowed us to be part of the Upward Sports Canada ministry. Uh, we get to work with churches uh, across Canada as we help them to strategize how to reach people in their community. And uh, much like uh, working with you this summer and uh, as past summer as we got to do these, uh, this soccer clinic, which was just beautiful. And we're looking ahead already talking with VG about some opportunities next year to partner together with you as we do with so many churches and get to walk alongside just helping with a simple sports ball how we can share Jesus. This past summer we ran uh, a, a lot of sports camps, uh, so, uh, so many, uh, with different churches. We had 45 different camps that across Ontario and uh, we got to celebrate as 66 people came to know Jesus this summer through the outreaches. The only reason I share that with you is nothing to do with upward sports but how God is moving 60 of those 66 that came to faith this summer came out of other major world religions, not from a Christian background. We got to see God move in some amazing and beautiful ways. And I love being a part of this upward sports ministry that God has allowed us to. And uh, together with my family, I think I, I threw up a picture of them. It's a silly photo, but that is us. Uh, and uh, that's my four, uh, three sons and daughter, and uh, of course my wife, and, and uh, who's sitting here, and I think the others are, are scattered around in the different classes, uh, and, uh, but God has just really blessed us with a, a, a wonderful family. Uh, I want to share a few statistics with you before we get into to our scripture this morning. 
If you would, that's the upward sports thing. You can move past that, sorry. Uh, we're going to be looking at Second uh, uh, Timothy 4, uh, and we're focusing on 3 through 8 uh, uh, this morning. And, uh, but we're going to look at uh, what, what, what God is really going to teach us through this passage, and an urging, uh, a call to action uh, that we need to look at. But first, let's look at the world around us really quickly. One-third of Americans believe that the Bible is true. I don't know if you knew that or not. One-third of Americans... Right down, right down below us, believe that the Bible is true. But let's look at Canada. 18% of Canadians believe that the Bible is the Word of God. If only 18% of our country believe that, 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 that the, the, the Word of God is, 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 the Bible is the Word of God, what does that say about the rest of the, the percentage? And then 64% of Canadians agree that all major world religions teach essentially the same thing. That one bothers me, folks. All three of these bother me, church, but this last one, 64% of our country believe that all major world religions teach the same thing, just in different ways. 64% of the people who live in our neighborhoods and our communities around us believe that we believe the same thing as Islam and Hinduism and Buddhism. We just go about it differently. Instead of kneeling this morning or, or, or bowing or, or doing a, a ritualistic thing this morning. We're choosing to worship by sitting and by song and by sermon. But they think that we're all leaving on Sunday mornings or Fridays or whatever our holy day is. We're going to our places of worship, all doing the same thing, just in different ways. 64% of our country believes that. It breaks my heart to know that so many have no idea who Jesus is. In our sports camps this summer, we had three dozen children in, in the communities right around us, here in Ontario, in the GTA, three dozen children who said they heard the name Jesus for the first time ever in their lives. They, they did claim they've heard it in movies as a swear word before, but they had no idea what it meant. And these are children that do follow other world faiths. These are children who should have at least heard about Jesus, whether it was accurate or not, and they said for the first time in our lives we've heard the name Jesus this summer. And again, that has nothing to do with our sports outreach or our ministry, but it has to do with the lostness around us. It breaks my heart. This morning, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. We've already read them, but I'm going to read them again because I want us to make sure we hear these words very clearly this morning. What I'm going to be sharing this morning is not revolutionary. It's not some, some, some uh, a huge uh, a, a revelation that God had given me. But it's a very practical word that unfortunately so many of us, and I stand before you this morning saying even for me, that we've missed. A warning sign that we have missed. One thing I do ask uh, when, I, when we read God's word, if you're able, if you would stand. Um, I'm old-fashioned in that, in that regard. I'm just going to read uh, this passage one more time for us as we just meditate on God's word this morning. Starting in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Verse 5, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. 
Verse 6, for I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but, all, or, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Please be seated. We're looking at the time is now. We're looking at the time is now. And as you dive through, and, and we look at, 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 at starting in verse th- uh, uh, 3, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves. Here's the reality of the world that we live in. People all around us are following what they want to believe, but makes them feel good. People all around us are, are coming up with these ideas and these concepts to follow because it makes them feel good. You see, God's word, God's word is offensive to culture today. Did you know that? God's word is offensive to culture. As a matter of fact, God's word is more offensive today than it was yesterday. It's going to be more offensive tomorrow than it is today because it's against the way that our culture and our society and our world lives. I was talking to somebody not long ago a church that they wanted to partner with our ministry and we were just sharing uh, a little bit about uh, what, what they wanted to do in their community and, and I don't care about the denomination that they serve but I asked them a little bit about their philosophy and who Jesus is. Do you teach and preach that Jesus is the only way of forgiveness of sins? And he said, I believe that Jesus is one way of forgiveness of sins. He said, we don't conform to any normal denomination. As a matter of fact, we've created our own Because we want people to know that there are multiple ways of forgiveness of sin. And I said, I'm so sorry. I I, I can't work with you. Our ministry can't partner with you. Because I don't. My own convictions and what scripture teaches is there's one way of forgiveness of sins, not multiple. But people are accumulating and making up for themselves. I don't know if you know the religion New Ageism. It's not new. Been around a long time. If you're familiar with New Ageism, it's this phenomenally interesting religion that teaches you are God. Well, that sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Who doesn't want to be their own God, right? No consequences. I'm my own God. I I captain my own ship. I'm in control of my own destiny. It just sounds good, doesn't it? And you can sell that to anybody. You bring a big bag of Tootsie Rolls and throw them out and tell everybody that they're God and they're going to start applauding you and giving you money. It's fantastic, right? If you like Tootsie Rolls. If you don't, it wouldn't go very far. But but you, you can sell that to anyone. And it's plaguing our university campuses. And why? People are asking why. It's right here in Scripture because when Paul was writing this letter, Paul was in prison. Paul was at the end of his ministry. He knew his time was coming to an end. He knew he was getting ready to go and be in the presence of the Lord very soon. He was at a place in his ministry where, where, where people were already beginning to leave him and, and abandon him. He was at a place where he could have been bitter. It was okay for Paul to be bitter according to the world. Everything that he had endured, now sitting in prison, cold, tired, None of us would be surprised to to see a letter where Paul is just crying out before the Lord, angry or frustrated, but that's not what we see. Paul wrote here, giving us a charge, telling us that a time is coming when people are going to not endure sound teaching. They're not going to just come into the church and listen. They're making up for themselves what they want to believe, what makes sense in their own heads. Paul was giving us a warning sign. 
Paul wasn't bitter here. He's challenging us to do exactly what he was doing to share Jesus with everybody that he encounters. It's a direct charge for us. The time is coming, this passage says, but the time is now. People are wandering off into all types of myths. Verse 5, as for you, directly speaking to us, as for you, always be sober-minded. Let's look at the sober-minded, for instance, or for one. When we hear the word sober, we always think of alcohol, right? We, we, we want people to be sober, not intoxicated, right? Sober, meaning they can cle- think clearly. Alcohol dulls your senses, dulls your mind. You're not thinking clearly when you're full of alcohol. We want to be sober-minded. What does that look like in our spiritual sense? What does that look like in a, in a life? If we're sinners saved by God's grace in this room, what does that look like for us as we try to be more like Christ Jesus? It means that we don't let other things come in the way of our focus on Christ. All kinds of things can creep in. And you see, if we're a sinner saved by God's grace, if you are a believer here this morning, Satan has already lost you, right? Satan's already lost you. But what can he do? He can stop you from the mission that God's called you to do. He can stop you from sharing. He can destroy that ministry that God has called you to. He's already lost you. You're already a child of God, but he can try to stop you. But we're to be sober-minded. When, I, when my wife and I served in the country of Egypt for, for several years, we had a a friend, and I call him Manuel, and uh, he's a, 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 he was a, a young kid, and he was my translator. Whenever we would go, and, and my background was in medicine, so I'd go to medical clinics and different things, and, and he was my translator. He'd always, you know, uh, go and just talk to the people, and, and every time we would do a clinic or any kind of a program in the hospital, we'd always share, I, I would share my faith. I'd always share my story, and I'm not telling you I'm a super Christian. That's just what I would do, and we would share about Jesus with, my, with the patients as we were treating them, and, and so I listened time and time again. My Arabic was very limited at that point. But I'd listened time and time again as Manuel would, would pretty much just, as soon as I would say something, he would repeat the same thing. And it finally burdened me after a while. And I thought, you know, I need to make sure that Manuel, he's a believer. I need to make sure that he is sharing his story, what Jesus did in his life to the people, not just what, what God's done for me. And so I said, you know what, Manuel, he, he's gone on a trip at this point. So I was talking to my wife, and I said, when he comes back, I'm going to sit him down, and I'm going to tell him he needs to stop sharing my story, but he needs to, let, you know, just let me be quiet and let him share his testimony of how Jesus saved him. Well, when he got back from his trip, I, I, I said, you know, we need to talk, and I said, sit down. I said, I need to, to talk to you about something, and he said, can I tell you a story first? And I said, okay, sure. He said he was on this bus ride, and I think I put a picture up of, of a microbus there in the, in the PowerPoint, but it, it, these microbuses, if you're familiar in Egypt, these microbuses, you, you would cram a ton of people in these little things, right? Here in Canada, we're, we're only allowed to put uh, what, usually about, what, maybe eight or, or, or ten people in a bus like that, but uh, in Egypt, uh, if any of you have ever been to Egypt before, uh, you, you have to take like a running, uh, running start, and you just dive into the, the bus, and you just lay on top of other people. It's great. It's a lot of fun, as long as everybody is showered, which is not always the case, but it, it's a lot of fun, and, and you just lay in these microbuses, and you just cram, you know, a ton of people in these things. Well, they were fun. I went on lots of trips in these, and, and he said, but he was coming back on an eight-hour bus ride ride from a certain part of Egypt to go back to Cairo. He had been visiting some family. And he said they got to a, a stop. It was a crammed microbus. They got to a stop. And, and, and at the stop, there was an imam, a Muslim religious leader, waiting to get onto the microbus. 
An entire row of people got off of the microbus right there in the middle of the desert to wait for the next bus so that the imam could have his own row all by himself. And he, he was in the back of the bus, Manuel, and, and he said he, he, he really just, he, he put a new movie on his little, uh, little d- device. This was in the early days of iPhone things. I think he, somebody had donated an original iPhone to him at the time. And, and he said he had just put a new movie on there. And with earbuds, he was excited to watch this movie for this long ride. But he said, I couldn't. He said, God just started uh, uh, grabbing at my heart, telling me I needed to move and go sit beside this imam. Well, if you know anything about uh, the culture for a Christian young boy to go sit beside a, a religious Islamic leader is, is not a good idea, especially in Egypt. But he did it anyway. He crawled his way through and he sat down on the seat. Of course, the imam, pretty surprised, you could only imagine. Uh, the imam enjoying his nice bench seat all by himself and now this young boy sits beside him. And as, this little, uh, as Manuel was, was just talking and, and sharing with him, he, he started to ask him questions and say, could you tell me more about Islam? I don't know. And so the imam shared a little bit about Islam. And after about 20 minutes or so of sharing about Islam, the imam looked and said, do you have any more questions? And Manuel said, no, I don't have any more questions. So he said, that's some similarities to what I believe in Christianity. Let me share it with you. And for the next hour and a half, Manuel shared about Jesus. At the end of the conversation... At the end of that hour and a half of sharing, sharing scripture and sharing his story, the imam looked over at him and said, I've always wanted to know more about Jesus, but I never knew where to find it. For the rest of that trip, the two men in English sat in that bench seat so no one else in the bus could understand, and they talked about Jesus. And when they got off, the imam thanked Manuel and said, I, I, you, have, you have changed my entire perspective of who Jesus is. And I thank you. And he walked away. Now that imam didn't accept Christ that day. But here's the point. Manuel was faithful to what Jesus called him to do. We're to be sober-minded. It would have been easy for Manuel to watch that movie or read a book or do anything else in that moment. But he wanted to be faithful to what God had called him to do. To be sober-minded, not let anything else come in the way, even the fear of what would happen. You see, that microbus could have stopped right in the middle of the desert. They could have all gotten off, killed Manuel, buried him, got back on the bus and moved on and not thought twice about it. But that's not what happened. Because Manuel was sober-minded, ready, 100% to share Jesus. Church, we need to be 100% not letting Satan get a foothold in our lives, not letting anything, anything come in the way. Number two we see is endure suffering. Endure suffering. It looks different in this day and age, but here's my definition of suffering. Than it, it looks different than it did uh, uh, when, when Paul was, was speaking to Timothy. But any hardship or life circumstance that causes disruptance towards our goal. Read that again. Any hardship or life circumstance that causes disruption towards our goal of following Jesus. That's, that's suffering. Could be a financial. Could be family. Could be we're laid off of work. Could be going through any kind of life situation. Anything that causes a disruption on our focus on Christ Jesus. One of the ladies, uh, this was about three years ago, 
she was a, a follower of Islam, and uh, we, we were blessed to, to engage her, and, and uh, we got to see her come uh, and, and accept Christ and, and uh, leave Islam behind, and uh, started to join our, our house group and our, our, our church, Wadi Church, and uh, be discipled and mentored, and things were going so well with this young lady. We were so just inspired and encouraged of what God was doing in her life. And uh, we, one of the, the, the meeting days, she came, and we were all so encouraged because she had taken her hijab off for the first time. She took it off, and, and she, she'd been a Christian for a few weeks, but she finally took her, her head covering off, and she said, I want people to know that I'm a Christian. Big step coming out of Islam. The next week, she, she wasn't at, at church. The week after that, she wasn't at church. The week after that, she wasn't at church. We sent emails, of course, and, and text and, and didn't hear anything back from her. And finally, after about a month of, of being absent from church, she sent uh, an email message to us, and it simply just read. She said, my, the, the community understood that I left Islam. She said, my family is being threatened back home in my country of Iraq. And she said, I'm being told that if I don't come back to Islam, they will kill my family. She said, I, I know it's wrong. She said, I don't know what else to do. She said, I'm not renouncing Christ Jesus. I'm still a follower of his. But she said, I have to put my hijab back on. I have to go back to the mosque, even if it's just for show. She said, because I don't know what else to do. It completely broke my wife and I's heart just to know that this lady was, was so in love and wanting to learn more about Jesus, and, and she said she's going to keep learning at home and doing these things, but, but, but the, 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 the fear had grabbed hold of her, the fear of what would happen to her family. I've, I've worked with Muslims for many, many, many years now. But I will never know what it's like for a Muslim to, to leave everything or for a Hindu or a Buddhist or a Sikh to leave everything behind. I grew up with parents who were missionaries and mission-minded. Six sets of my aunts and uncles are missionaries around the world. I grew up in an atmosphere that, that was very encouraging when I felt God calling me to ministry. Not oppressive. But in this scripture, we're, we're called to endure suffering, to endure hardships. We're called to, to hold fast and tight to what God has called us to do. And even though some days that may look hopeless, we are to trust that God has a bigger plan. We're to endure any hardships. Number three, we're to do the work of an evangelist. Each of us are called by God to share the gospel, thus being an evangelist. It doesn't mean, and I love this, I'll ask this to young people sometimes, I'll say it's called us to be an evangelist, so stand up if you're ready to be an evangelist. It's funny because no one ever stands, right? No one is excited usually about standing up and in front of people and sharing about Jesus. It makes us nervous. It makes us nervous. But my, my dear brother here uh, in our first service read out of Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, as we see the gift of the Holy Spirit that God has given us. To do the work of an evangelist doesn't mean that we stand up here and, and speak only from ourselves or our, our knowledge. Now, we need to be putting God's Word in. More of what we put in ourselves is what's going to come out, right? 
If I watched movies and television shows all day, every day, that's going to come out in my dialogue, in my conversations. I'm not saying it's a bad thing to watch movies or TV, but if that's all I did, if I spend more time reading God's word, that's going to naturally come out. But we're to rely on the Holy Spirit in these moments. We're to be evangelists. We're to be on mission, sharing Jesus with the people that God has given us daily. Not just on Sundays, not just on holidays, not just when the moment seems convenient, but every moment. Manuel, it wasn't a great moment for him. He wanted to watch the movie, but he felt God leading him to say no and move and talk to this man, and he did it. We're to be evangelists. We're to always be ready to share God's word with those around us. So we need to be putting God's word in, but we have the gift of the Holy Spirit ready and willing. This young girl that we, we spent uh, this summer, she came to one of our summer camps. Her name is Grace. Grace came to our, our, our summer camp not too far from here this summer. Grace was from China. She was just visiting for a couple weeks. And, 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 and when, when, when Grace came to camp on Monday, you see in, our, in our, our summer camps, we share the gospel twice a day. Once during the lunch hour, we call it halftime, and then we have a huddle time towards the end of the day before the kids go home. The gospel is shared at lunch, and then it's talked about again at huddle time right before the kids leave. Grace said that on Monday, during the Bible hour, right before lunch, or the Bible halftime, she heard about Jesus for the first time ever in her life. Monday afternoon, she heard about Jesus for the second time ever in her life. She went home Monday. She came back Tuesday, and, and at lunchtime, she didn't really play many sports that morning. At lunchtime, she heard the gospel for the third time in her life. Shortly after lunch on Tuesday, she went up to one of the chaperones, and she said, could you tell me more about this Jesus? They sat down, and they shared with Grace. That afternoon, Grace accepted Jesus as her Lord and her Savior. Grace asked for a Bible. We got permission from her aunt and uncle, and we, we, we rushed her over a Bible in her language of Cantonese, and we gave it to her. She went home with her Bible on Tuesday evening, and the reality and the sad part is she read more of God's Word Tuesday night into Wednesday morning than most of us, myself included, in this room will probably read in the entire year of 2019. I say that carefully. I'm not condemning you. I put myself in that place. But that girl read God's word, not reading it to read it. She read it to know it. She came back Wednesday ready to be discipled. They spent Wednesday discipling grace, training grace. She didn't play sports that day. They trained her. She came back Thursday morning with the biggest smile on her face. First thing that she told her leaders were that at home on, on Wednesday night, she led her cousin to Christ. The team spent the rest of Thursday and Friday just pouring into this sweet girl and her cousin. And right before she left camp on Friday, she was getting ready in just a few days to go back home to China. She looked up at me. I was there that day. And she said, I'm so excited to go back home. She said, because I get to go and I get to be the first Christian in my province of China. She said, I get to go back and be the first Christian that I know of in my town. I get to go back and share Jesus with my people. 
And here's the, the most interesting part of the story, church. Grace is 12 years old. A 12-year-old girl understood what it meant. A 12-year-old girl understood how to be sober-minded, knowing that she was going back into a situation that she had no clue what, what was going to happen. She knew how to endure suffering, knowing that she's going back to a government that doesn't tolerate or accept Christianity. She went back to do the work of an evangelist to share because she recognized at the age of 12, 12, the importance of sharing Jesus. Grace is an amazing illustration of this passage for us. She didn't grow up in the church. She wasn't on staff. She wasn't a director of anything. She wasn't even a mature Christian. But she understood the urgency that the time is now. The time is now to share Jesus. She was a sinner who heard about Jesus and his grace, which is why we call her grace, by the way. And she wanted to take her message to other people, to her people. Church, I'm not going to finish the rest of the passage. We don't have time. I challenge you to read it because as Paul goes on, Paul talks uh, after he gives this charge to Timothy and this charge to us of being ready. He says at the end of verse 5, fulfill your ministry, meaning that God has called us each to a ministry. None of us can stand in this room if you're a sinner saved by God's grace and say that God's not called me to anything yet. I'm waiting. If that's what you're doing, it's an excuse because God's called you to something. God's called us each to a people, to a person, to a family member, to somebody who doesn't know him today to share him. And are we going to be faithful? 12-year-old Grace will never leave my mind, church. Never leave my mind that that girl recognized the calling that God had given her and the ministry to go and to share. My question and my challenge and my close to us this morning is what are you doing about it? What are you doing in your everyday lives? And I'm not standing up here to tell you that I'm perfect because I'm not. This message is more convicting to me than it likely is to you. Because God has stirred in my own heart of what am I doing? Am I doing enough? Am I pouring out into the community? Am I looking to those people around me that God has placed before me who need to know Jesus? Or am I watching a movie on my phone? Am I not being sober-minded? Am I doing something else? Am I distracted? Am I too involved in the things of the world that I'm not seeing the ministry that God has put before me? Church, my prayer that uh, as, you, as you read through the rest of this on your own at home and Paul's able to say that I have fought the good fight, are we able to see that? If you were standing before the Lord Jesus right now, would you be able to say that you gave it your all? Would you be able to say that I gave my all? Because if you can't say that this morning, that you, have, you give 100% focus and clarity on what God has put before you, church, don't leave this place until you make it right before the Lord. Don't leave this place before you commit whatever it is that's causing you to, to, to not be sober-minded. 
whatever sufferings you might be going through, whatever it is that's distracting us from being that evangelist and fulfilling that ministry, church, I urge you, let's leave it here. Let's take this example of 12-year-old Grace setting everything else aside and saying, yes, Jesus, simply, I'll go. Father, I thank you this morning for the reading of your word. Lord, we didn't make it through the rest of the passage, and that's okay. Because, Father, I pray that this morning, through the testimony that you've given, the reality that the world around us, Father God, is, is lost and getting more and, and distant from you every single day, Father, that that our dear neighbors and people in our own communities are making up for themselves things to follow. Father, that our churches are, 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 are being ineffective for the furtherance of your kingdom. Because, Lord Jesus, it starts with us. And so, Father, as you've convicted my own heart and, Lord, as you've given me the word to share this morning... Father, I pray that none of us would leave this morning until we've made right with you. Lord, till we understand what it means to be sober-minded and to endure hardships, to do the work of an evangelist, and most importantly in that passage, to fulfill the ministry. So when we get to the end of that time, we can be just like Paul, and we can be able to say, I fought the good fight, Lord Jesus. But Lord, right now, for some of us in this room, we can't say that. Lord, there may be some in this room that don't know you. Father, I pray. Lord, I pray that you speak to our hearts this morning. Father, you know our insides. Lord, you know us better than we know ourselves. You know the hairs that are on our head. And Father, I pray that you would clearly show us this morning what we need to make right before you so that we may go out, Father, the rest of this day and the next and the next following the call that you've placed in our lives. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace that you've given to us. Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you in your name. Amen.